Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Now this week, um, we're going to take a pause from what we've been studying. And uh, it's kind of funny because we, uh, we did four chapters out of five chapters of James and then we hit the brakes and we did Holy Week and we're going to spend the morning in First Peter today and then we're going to do child dedication next week and the week after that we're going to start in we're going to finish our James series by June. That's the goal. Um, but today... Uh, church family, I'm, I'm, I am both very excited and very, uh, I'll say very nervous in a good way this morning to share uh, this message from First Peter with you. Um, because this, uh, this message today is really the culmination of uh, probably two or three years of just yearning and praying and pleading with the Lord for who should we be as a people, as, as a church community. And my yearning this morning is to uh, share with you what this journey of conviction and clarification has been um, and really challenge us to seek and answer the question, who and what should we be as the church? Who and what should we be as the church? Uh, here's, here's the broad scope, okay? It doesn't take us long to figure this out. People <laughs> are riddled with opinions about that very thing. You, you step out into the world, and you wouldn't even have to step out into the world. If you panned across just those of you who are here, and ask the question, who are we supposed to be? Who should we be as the church? You're going to get all kinds of different answers. Because we all kind of have an idea in our minds about what we think that should be. Uh, here's where my wrestling started. Because when we sit amongst one another and uh, we share our own ideas and perspectives about what we think should or shouldn't be, Um, there is both healthy opinions and there's unhealthy opinions. That's true about everything. But at the heart, uh, we can spend a whole lot of time trying to decide whose opinions are right, or we can pick up God's Word and we can ask, what has God called us to be? Who has He actually called us to be? Now, I don't want you to think that by some measure over the last four and a half years of uh, ministry here that we have had absolutely no purpose. That is not the case. 
Rather, the Lord has been moving and bringing all kinds of shift and change. Uh, We could say that just about 2020, right? And what it has left is it has left us with this deep-rooted need to actually be able to say, I know what God has called us to. And the us, the plural there, is really important. Everyone say us. Because this is where a vision moves beyond personal preference. That when we can band together for something that is far bigger than any one of us, that is what defines a community. But it has to be us looking and saying, who are we corporately supposed to be? So today, I, I want to bring you along in this journey and, and Lord willing, start a conversation amongst us. A conversation that, Lord willing, will begin to take root in us as our leadership strives to shepherd us together towards God's vision for the church. God's vision for the church. Already seen in Scripture. Okay, So I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray. And then uh, I'm going to start in 1 Peter 1, but we're going to land in 1 Peter 2 uh, for most of our time today. And I might switch mics. <clears throat> Let's pray and, and trust the Lord with this. Father, I come to you and I ask that you would open our eyes to what your word already says about who we should be and what we should do. That we don't fabricate this of our own doing, but that we, Lord, simply walk in obedience. That you provide clarity and, Lord, I pray unity around these things. Um, The things of you. Not man-made entities, but, Lord, you. That we would leave here wrestling with this, but united together in purpose and in passion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Peter. Now... Uh, when we step into First Peter, right at the beginning, we see who this is written to, and this is really important. Okay, First Peter, chapter one, verse one it says, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ." And for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so when we read that, we understand, first off, that Peter is writing to who? He's he's writing to believers, okay? He's writing to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And seeking to communicate something important to them. But these brothers and sisters have been dispersed, so they're, they're all over. Not just all in one place, but they're spread across. And if you didn't know this, they're dispersed across five Roman provinces that would now be considered today modern-day Turkey. If you wonder where this is, this is where. But then he jumps into the first part of his exhortation to them with something that should reinvigorate us and bring us great Hope. It says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everyone say living. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, with a resounding amen, we can affirm that we praise God that He has caused us to be born again. We can praise God that what we celebrated last week in Jesus' resurrection is what makes our hope a living hope, not a dead hope. And furthermore, as we discussed last week, the hope that's brought about in Jesus is an eternal hope because who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see, and so we wait for it with patience. That's what Scripture says. But then if we jump over a little bit to verse 13 of chapter 1, we see the root of this foundation of which if we've spent time in the church, we would resound and go, yes, I agree, I affirm, these are core truths, we hold fast to these things. There's now an exhortation in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's the future hope. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Everyone say, whoa. Now, the reason I have us say that is uh, this is not a new concept to us, but it should be just as heavy. When we read Scripture written to believers, and that exhortation is, in light of these truths that we hold closely, be sober-minded, don't be conformed to the passions of your old way of living, but instead be holy. That's hard. But it is, in fact, the target. Now, if you were with us during our Tolerable Sin series, this was a frequent image. It's not a new image for you. But the importance of this image is, in fact, that to sin is to miss the mark. And oftentimes we make our own target. And therefore we think that we're doing all right. And yet, if the target is the holiness of God, we realize how profoundly short we fall. If we miss the mark in any way of God's holiness, we are in sin and are in desperate need of the work of Jesus to transform us. The bad news You missed the mark. None of you have hit the target of God's holiness. The good news, Jesus has made a way. That's the gospel. 
through his death and resurrection, there is life and hope in Jesus. And we affirm this. And we say, Amen! Jesus has brought me life. Now, there's an expounding upon this idea of holiness that delves further into a separation from what the world would say is good and should be pursued versus what Scripture says. So go over to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. 1 Peter 2. It continues in this theme of pursuing holiness. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, clarification. In our Western world, when we say put away, it usually means I'm going to store it in the garage. Or I'm going to put it in the attic. Or I'm going to get a bigger storage tub. Or I'm going to get a storage unit. And I'm going to store it. No, no, no. This, this is not what he's saying. Okay? This is not a stored away for later at a time when you might need it. He's saying, get rid of it. Literally, put it away from yourself. Remove it. Actively remove this. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. Now, here's what we do, family. We read stuff like this, and then we look at the world, and we go, man, can you believe the state the world is in? Look at all these people and how terrible they are. And we get on, we get on social media. Stay off of social media. We get on social media and, and we, we look at all these other people in their lives and then we compare it to ourselves and we go, well, I'm not, I'm not doing so bad. No, it's not. No. I, the, he's writing this to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's writing this to the church. You all put away, all of us, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, the things of the world. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, not you the living stone, He's the living stone. You come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying as a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. We sang that this morning. Chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Okay, so here, you, here's the contrast between where the world is going to go. And where the church should go. The contrast is simply the world will stumble because they disobey the word. The church 
should thrive and grow up into salvation because it obeys the word and pursues what God has said. Verse 9 defines who these people he's writing to are. It's a reminder. But you, contrasting the world, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, family, this is where this this journey took a major turn as I sought the Lord's guidance, who are we to be? And I simply asked the question, what are the roadblocks that get in the way of us being a people possessed by God? What does it look like to be a people possessed by God? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, there's an identity shift that happens or should happen when we come to faith in Christ. That we move from a self-focused purpose to a God-given purpose. That our vision, our mindset shifts from what it used to be to what it should be according to God's Word. Once lacking identity, now having a God-given identity. Do you see this here? Uh, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, That you may proclaim these things. Verse 10, once you were not a people, you were not these things, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A people for God's own possession. So this inevitably started churning in me well, okay, if, if there's an identity change in us, then there should be a culture change in us, right? If our focus and our yearnings and our desires and our passions all of a sudden shift to be that of which God longs of us rather than what we long for us, then something should change. John 1 reminds us that to all who, believed him, who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. John 3 reminds us that we need to be born again. Much in contrast to the world around us that would say, you just stay right as you are. No, 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 no. Because right as I am misses the mark, right? 
I need to be reborn, made new. 2 Corinthians 5 brings this great promise that says if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Peter is affirming to these dear brothers and sisters that even in the midst of suffering and opposition they face, even in the confrontation of losing everything close to them, as they are dispersed to places that are not their own, these truths remain the same. They remain the same. Now, most people, once again, who spent any amount of time in the church can get behind this line of thinking. The gospel declares that through Jesus Christ, we are made right with God and are reborn into new life. We even sing these truths. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. We sing songs like, I am a child of God. And yet, the part that plagued me in the midst of this question is, what does it look like to be a a people, a church, a community of individuals possessed by God? Because I can say all of these things. I can know all of these things and utterly sit untransformed by them. So what would it look like? What would it look like for us to be a people possessed by God? (laughs) When I was writing this, it was kind of funny. I, I thought to myself... Um, when I was growing up, I, there was a song that was very popular by a group called DC Talk. Some of you were like, oh yeah, I know. <laughs> and it was the song Jesus Freak, right? What will people do when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will they do when they find that it's true? And so I'm sitting there in my office and I'm reading this. I'm going, is it true? Is it true that nothing else is as important to us as the church as Jesus? We say that it's true, but is it? And this is where this is where I start getting excited. What would it look like if it was? What would it look like if it was true that we were people so possessed by God, so freed in Christ that nothing else mattered? What would it look like? Look at verse 11. If you guys in the back, if you would click that X to close this slide out so the image goes away for me, please. Verse verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Our fleshly passions, church family, our fleshly passions hinder us from full obedience to God's purposes. Our fleshly passions create roadblocks for us to live a life as a community unashamed of Jesus 
and free in Christ. If we sat down and made a list of the things that we feel hold us back from fully devoting our lives to the Lord, it might look a little bit like this. I don't have time. I don't have resources. I don't know enough. You ever heard those? You ever said those? (laughs) Roadblocks. What are the roadblocks, the passions of the flesh that hold us back from devoting ourselves fully to the Lord? I I want us to think about this. Now, practically speaking, visuals are way more powerful in this than words. So I need three uh, adult helpers to come help me. I need three. All right. Okay. Joey Kingsley and Amanda, thank you for volunteering. So, um, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask a couple of you a question in the midst of this. When you look at a question like this, what are the roadblocks that would hold, that you would see potentially would hold the church? You don't have to answer. It's okay. I'll just let you participate. It's all right. That would potentially hold you back um, from, from fully devoting ourselves to the Lord. What might, that, what might one of those be? Um, I'll say time. Okay. Time. All right. I was also going to say time. You, you took that from The time is a big one. Okay? Um, say the want. Okay. Like being willing and able to. Okay. So the want to do it, the drive. And oftentimes that's rooted even in uh, I find my contentment in other things. Right? We resonate with So, okay, here's at the reality. When we have these passions of our flesh. All right. You guys get those ropes. Put one on me. All right. Just put it on the end of my wrist there. There we go. Put this one on. This is going to make this illustration even more emphatic. Okay. Now. All right. So, Joey, you come back here to the chain. Amanda, you take the rope. Here's what I do. Okay. I want you guys to pull back on these a little bit. Okay? Pull, go back that way. All right. (laughs) This is what it looks like for me to tie myself to the world. Whether it be time, it be my want or not want, you fill in the blank. As a church family... When we fix our eyes on what we think we should be rather than what God says we should be, then when God says, do this, and I go to move, you guys got to keep tension on it. Don't let me. I'm, I am now not free to do the things God is calling me to do. I have tethered myself in so many ways, whether it be through my financial decisions, my personal decisions, my relational decisions. I've allowed myself to sit in whatever that may be. We as a church make this mistake. 
if we fix our eyes on the wrong variables, if we define success in the wrong ways, we tether ourselves to the world and then we go, I love Jesus and I can't wait till he returns. But God, you're going to have to use someone else. You're going to have to use a different people because I'm so focused on these tethers that I can't do anything else. What does it look like for us to be a people possessed by God? It looks like that in the midst of this, I'm free in Christ. Thanks, guys. Do we live as people who are free in Christ? And the reality is, so often as a church body, <laughs> we get focused on our own selves and what we want and our own perspective on what the church should be or church should do. Instead of going, well, what does God say? And then we become discontent because it's not. It's not what I think it should be. Okay? How are we measuring success? Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, I start to get a little uncomfortable. And I start to say, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to feel good. 1 Peter 2.16, look down what that says. Live as people who are what? Let's say that loud. Live as people who are what? Free. Not using your freedom... As a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What does it look like to be a people possessed by God for His purposes? It looks like freedom. It looks like untethering ourselves from the world in order to live freely for what God in Christ is calling us to. Freed by Christ in order to live free for Christ. Untethered and then unleashed for the glory of God. What would it look like, church family, if we were a people untethered from the world as a community and unleashed for His purposes? What would it look like? Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Over and over and over again, you'll see this theme in Scripture. Freedom, freedom, freedom. And the temptation for those in Scripture was to return to a place of bondage. Family, the temptation for you and I is to return ourselves consistently to a place of bondage because in the world's eyes, there's no other way. But in Christ, there is freedom. In Christ, we can untether ourselves as a whole from the world around and Together, in unity, in community, as the church, pursue unashamed adoration, worship in Jesus.
Now, I want to shift this in our final minutes to where the rubber meets the road, okay? And this first slide is not the entirety of it, but it's a piece. When we ask the question, where are we tethered? Where are we tethered? And there is a community aspect of this that we have to answer as a whole. And so I want to give you a flashback of kind of the last 10 years here. Because there's many of you who have no idea. Because you're new with us. Or you may be listening to this or watching this and you have no idea. And so I'm going to go back 10 years and I'm, I'm just going to reveal some both positives and some revelations about ways we are tethered, as you saw the picture of, tethered to the world. Okay? In 2012, this facility was built. I praise God that we have this place. You know, last week, we would not have been able to celebrate together with as many people as we did in here without this facility. You know, when we originally had COVID come, we were able to spread people out and start meeting again much sooner than most people because of this facility. But there is a reality we need to talk about. And that is these numbers. Now, there's, there's a praise God in here in the last 10 years. Look at that amount that's been paid off. Praise God for that. Okay? We praise God for that. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. It's not gone. And in fact, as long as that is there, we as a church family are tethered to the world. We're tethered to the world. If the Lord said, out of the blue, we want you to go do this X, Y, and Z, and it's going to cost this much, and we're, we are stuck because we have an obligation. We are tethered to the world. Now, I want to paint a picture here, because here's what happens. We look at stuff like this, and we go, oh, my goodness. And, and maybe we even have a bad attitude about it. I want you to think about these things. In the last 10 years, we've celebrated 120 baptisms. How cool is that? In the last 10 years, hundreds of teens have had the gospel shared with them through fifth quarters. There's 49 teens that have been trained for missions through Wyoming. We've supported the missions work of people in 14 different countries around the world. And just in the last five years, since we started using Kids Check, there's over 400 unique sign-ins to that program, which means over 400 different children have been ministered to in the last five years. Now, here's the thing, though. If we only measure our success as a church family by how many people we reach, we miss the calling of the Lord for us to be faithful. I want to say that again. If we only measure our success as a church on the number of people we reach, we miss the calling of the Lord to simply be faithful. If we only measure our success by how full the building is on a Sunday... We tether ourselves to a worldly way of thinking. 
I'm going to tell you there are thousands of buildings across this country today who will fill up with three, four times as many people as are here today, and they will not preach Jesus. Numbers are no connotation of biblical success. We should celebrate when we see them, but they are not the marker of a healthy church. They are not. They can't be. Because, here's the thing, family, as we look at a culture that is increasingly opposed to the things of Scripture, there will come a day when preaching those truths may result in shrinking, not growing. And in that time, may it be said that we are faithful, not that we are big. What's the difference? The difference is, am I going to be driven by the world or possessed by God free in Christ? If we only measure our success by the quality of the music or the message instead of the faithfulness of us as a people, then we miss the heart of God's purposes for us as the church. So I ask this question, how will we live? Free in Christ or tethered to the world? Will we live life as a community untethered from the things that hold us back? Or will it be said about us that we're a people who are just free in Christ? Free to do whatever God calls us to do. And that's going to look different sometimes when we start narrowing that down because God's gifted us in the church differently. But I want you to imagine with me a vision of a people so possessed by God that nothing else matters. That when someone comes to our family with need, nothing else matters. Uh, We are free in Christ because we have removed the tethers from the world that we can come alongside you and we can help. Uh, I am free in Christ to be available when there's a need that pops up because I've untethered myself from the world. But it starts with us looking at the whole and saying, how will we together pursue living As a people, free and untethered. How will we do that? Now, this is a starting point. You're going to start hearing these terminologies a lot more because uh, I can no longer read through Scripture without seeing these things everywhere. Everywhere I look, every week since the Lord revealed all of this in such glaring reality, Every week that I'm, uh, you, and some of you may have already noticed I've been using some of these terminologies because they've, they've already been there. But th- family, I'm convinced that this is who God has called us to be. He's called us to be free, which I laughed the other day because I'm like, everyone calls us E-free here. And I'm saying that our vision is that we live free. All right. But the, the root of this is biblical in the sense of, We as a church body have to untether ourselves. A piece of that untethering, I'm going to be honest with you, is getting rid of the mortgage. That's a big piece of this. That It's a God-sized 
vision. There's a, a piece of this vision that is making sure that we don't become so grounded out into program mentality that when God prompts us in another direction, we, we don't say, well, we've got our own thing going. No, we're, we're free to go and to do and to be exactly as God says we should. And I'm convinced, family, that our greatest impact will be found when we simply walk faithfully according to what he has already said we should do. It's just about being faithful. But it starts with us cutting the ties. Abstaining from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So here's what I'm asking you to do. On the back of your sermon notes, there's a question there. A single question. And I, I am asking you over the next couple of weeks to respond to that question. How are we as a church doing at being a community that's untethered from the world? And, and it's really more specific than that. And to think in terms of freedom and availability for God's purposes. And if you wonder what it looks like in a biblical sense, read the passages of Scripture that are there. And so, if, there is, if there's a hundred, of, a hundred households here that all get that, I, I want a hundred emails. And I'm serious. Of people who honestly think prayerfully about this and say, what does that look like? An honest assessment right now. What does that look like? And then we're going to work together starting this fall at equipping and navigating how do we live this out? How do we be becoming a people who are untethered from the world and free in Christ. And we're going to do it together. And so, over the next couple weeks, I want you to think about that. There's an email address there. I want you to send your thoughts to. And uh, we may engage back and forth with you a little bit on that. Because this is a shepherding opportunity for us to grow together. Right? Understand, family. Christ has already won the victory. Amen? And He's called us to walk faithfully in light of the, that truth. Let's root into it together, okay? Alright? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going we're gonna to close with a song that's really a prayer. Build your kingdom here. And as we do that, um, as, they're, as they're coming up, let's just commit this to the Lord in prayer. Okay? And what I want to do is just right where you're at, if you feel led to pray briefly here in just a couple sentences, pray uh, for this journey that we would be becoming a people free in Christ, untethered from the world.
Hey, let's pray. Lord, as we go from this place, may we strive to live and be a people free for your purposes. Help us to see those opportunities each day. In Jesus' name.